Hey, welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like Capital Ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy, if you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy. You can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions, and that means the world to me, and I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. Who don't know me, my name's Amelia Antonetti, and um, I am a... Uh, a human behaviorist, that's my talent and my skill. I've had nine companies and 53,000 employees, six successful exits, and the other ones, we need a bottle of wine before we go over that story. And so I just would like to add in, so when you're talking about the inner child, one of the first things that is uh, important in order to um, be able to strain and recover the inner child is to understand, um, I heard somebody talking about introvert versus extrovert, um, which is behaviorally very misunderstood. Um, a, a true extrovert is somebody who goes into a social situation, could be a concert, a big party, and they leave that event feeling fueled from the inside. They're actually like on a high and excited after the event. An introvert goes to the exact same situation, can have the same amount of fun, but from that event needs to recover right? So the introvert is drained by social situations where the extrovert is fueled by the social situation. 
And both of those things are imperative to understand because that is the connection to the inner child. So if the inner child isn't properly understood how the inner child strains and recovers, then you can't develop and heal the inner child if healing is needed or to fully develop the inner child. So all innovation, all creativity, all the inner voice, like that inner kind of like, mm, this doesn't feel good. You know, mm, this is this, like my spidey senses are telling me this is the wrong direction. That inner compass is coming from the inner child. A lot of people think that that's the higher calling. And in most cases, that is not, that is the inner child. So if you have a um, damaged or bruised inner child, then your inner compass is going to lead you off your beaten path. That's why the inner work is so important. But the inner child is also what manifests in us our greatest ideas, our greatest innovation. The inner child is the one that when it's properly healed can lead us to our greatest and our highest way of being. So that's me in a nutshell, if that was helpful for anybody here on stage. That was, it was great, thank you. Because I'm definitely not fueled by crowds at all. Yeah, so you've- Though I'll have tons yeah, of fun. So you, you are an introvert, right? But you can still have an amazing time, right? So for me, because people see my public persona, my public image on TV, they assume I'm an extrovert. The reality is I'm not, I'm an introvert. So I can do those things, I do them very well, but then I must intentionally plan recovery time after those events, right? Versus an extrovert would need the opposite, right? So it's just a matter of identifying who you are and what your formula is for, you know, to become your best self and then use those tools. So there's never a good or bad or, you know, greater than in value. Each side of you, you know, all three pieces of you are all valuable, right? So there isn't one. It's about aligning what you naturally do to the way that you actually generate, you know, wealth. That's the, that's the key is to line those things up. Um, and to be able, for me, what we provide are behavioral tools, healing tools, so that you can heal those different parts, whether it's the inner child, the adult self, or the higher calling, so that those three things come into alignment. That's what creates power and impact. So when people get stuck, right, or they're not sure, it's usually because that that alignment is off or it's conflicted. People try to grow in two directions at the same time, and that's impossible. Uh, hello. Um, uh, uh, I, this is V, and I just wanted to, to go ahead and kind of tie that back into what we just heard. Uh, David was speaking about uh, going back and finding out what it was that that uh, motivated you as a child. What was it that you you felt drawn towards? And so when we when we combine that with uh, the information you just provided about being an introvert or an extrovert, going back to what it was that you loved so much as a child, that would also give you. Uh, those two things should go together. Is that right? I mean, if you think about the things that you loved as a child, uh, that would also tie into whether or not you're an extrovert or an introvert. Is that correct? So that's yes and no. And the reason why I say that is, again, in an ideal scenario, the answer would be yes. But most of us are healing from a dysfunctional childhood. And so children who don't have developed skills, right, obviously, because they're children, will self-medicate on something that brings them joy in that moment of time in their behavioral development. That doesn't mean what that immediate fix was for do. And so when you go back to your childhood, you have to first ask yourself, that joy that you enjoyed as a child, was that self-medicating? So I'll give you a perfect example from my own stuff. Um, my self-medicating as a child, right, coming from a very dysfunctional uh, childhood, was that I would write, right? I would, I would, I would literally just pick up and I would write. Now, I am my gift to the world is not a writer. That isn't, I have written, 
I, I write, but I do not identify as a true writer, the, the people who are actually really tr like, you know, Simon Sinek, right? They're actually writers. I wouldn't put myself in that same category. And so I did something that wouldn't cause, that allowed me to release pain. And so when you go back to the things that in your childhood that you did that brought you pleasure, you have to ask yourself why. What were you doing? And if it was actually just pure, like I loved to dance, right? And that's not me. I did not love to dance. But I'm saying if you loved to dance as a child, that was an innocent connection to something that brought you joy and pleasure. So for that, that would be something that you would bring into your childhood. I mean, to your adulthood. Some things in our childhood were meant to help us during that period of time, but they are not our true identity that we bring into our adult in order to be able to hit scale. So for me, writing, even though it's something I do, it is not the main wealth generating in my business because it is something that I've learned to do. It isn't my genius. Did, did that answer the question? Did that make sense when I said it out loud? Wow, that, that made so much sense, you know, just to hear you say it. Um, I think I was getting, uh, originally when I made the statement, I was thinking, okay, so as a child, you like to write that goes hand in hand with being somewhat introverted. So that's something that you don't have to guess at, but you know, I never thought that it could be a self-medicating, uh, thing that you did at that time. So that that's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. And I was, when I, you know, when I try to help, you know, people to go from, you know, idea to creation to scale, right. Cause as a behaviorist, if your behavior is not in alignment with your tactical plan, it will never happen. Never, not a chance to tell. I mean, I go into companies all the time and I'm like, great, you get a great tactical plan. You got a business plan, but where's the people plan, right? Anything without a people plan will never succeed because you're guessing. And so many times people believe that the way that they have shown up is how they then make money. And what I say as a behaviorist is no, you have to figure out why do you show up that way? And if the why is connected to your original God-given core talent, the thing that nobody can take from you, then that aligns with your business. But if how you show up is a default of survival, then it is misalignment. That's why so many businesses and ideas never get off the ground because people have the the idea of who they are, not who they really are. This is why a lot of relationships fail because people fall in love with the idea of who somebody is, not who they actually are. That's why as a behaviorist, I spend so much time trying to help people understand what is their true identity, God-given identity, and then align everything else from that. I spend a lot of time with college and high school kids, helping them understand their identity because we've gotten into a digital and social world where their identity is the idea of who they are. And that is not only uh, detrimental, you'll never make money that way, not sustainably anyway. Hey, Amelia, can I ask you a question about this topic? Yes, absolutely. I just want to make sure I'm not invading on somebody's hour. I just, I would, I, Renee was so sweet to pop me in, said, hey, Amelia, just jump in real quick. And I want to make sure I'm not disrespecting the host. You're totally disrespecting me. Hi. My Hi, Amelia, from, hey, David. David, how are you? I'm actually sitting on set right now and I'm thinking about you. I'm some, somehow, some way, we're going to get face to face. One of my favorite people. Really if you're not following David Spizak and, you're, and, and you don't show up to his Friday calls, he is a superstar. Thank you. You're very kind. I'm, I'm just enjoying this beautiful 97 degree weather that you're having in New York City right now. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I um, I love this involuntary weight loss program that's going on right now this week. You got to love it. And I know you're dressed to the nines too. So now you're really feeling it. <laughs> I am suited up. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, listen, wonderful to hear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, mute and listen in. So yes, I'll answer your question, whoever that was who was so kind mm -hmm. to come in. Yeah, it was actually something that was um, brought up, like I brought up to Monica. So um, in her segment, um, she was talking about the um, just not shutting down the gifts in kids. And I told her yesterday, like I, I caught myself 
you know, about to do that with my granddaughter. And so I'd like to kind of go uh, into that a little bit more. Like, how do you tell the line of that? So like, she was fascinated with jumping off the bed and the adult me, of course, wanted to stop that. And I didn't want her to hit her head. But I, you know, thought about that conversation in the lesson that Monica talked to us and thinking about what David said about all the things that we were, you know, taught as kids. I don't want to do that to her. So I did put pillows down and it just took the fun meter up. But, you know, in some situations, you know, that's not going to be practical in the sense of not wanting them to get hurt. So how do you not shut down the gifts and kids, you know, while, I don't know, I guess not making them more prone to injury or that kind of thing. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. No, it's, it's a great yeah. question. It's a wonderful question. And so what you have to first identify for yourself is, are you a communicator who pushes information or are you a communicator who pulls information? Right. And so like right now, because I'm in a teaching training mode, I'm pushing information. But what happens in that type of setup is the conversation actually doesn't get deep and real and rich because both people are not participating. Most of us have learned to communicating in a push mentality, right? We push information over, we make statements, and we haven't learned the art of communication, which is to draw the person in. When you're developing, whether it's a team or trying to develop a relationship or most importantly, developing children, the parent must take on the mindset of pulling in. So a simple behavioral tool when a kid is doing something and you, because you've got more experience, can say, oh, this could be dangerous, is to ask questions that were like, what are you doing? And then what will happen, right? Use the quip it and then what? And then what? Especially if you're dealing with tweens and teenagers, right, who have these great ideas but they don't understand the consequences to their actions. And so when you ask them to say, so what are you doing? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't have to go to college because I'm gonna just start a business. And then you go, okay, and then what happens? And then what happens? And then what happens? Because what you're doing is you're helping them connect their thoughts to where they actually end way up off course, where then you can go something like, how oh, well, have you considered that, you know, starting a business requires anywhere between 50 and a hundred thousand dollars, right? Something like that. But what now what's happening is you're in a pulling, right? Pulling, engaging conversation and not pushing. But when we feel like there's fear, right? It's our fear. They're going to get hurt. We change the way we communicate and push the information on them. And anybody who's really developing doesn't hear us anyway. And so if you can just play with so, and then what's going to happen? And then what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to jump off this bed. And then what? And then what? You start to understand where their developmental uh, cause and effect is developing. And then you can add in to then guide. So once a child gets somewhere around between like 10 and 12 years old, a parent should start thinking about themselves, not as a parent, but think as being a mentor take on a mentor role to add on to what you developed in them from a parental standpoint. Did, did that help at all? Oh, it absolutely helped. Thank you. Cause I definitely am the pusher, not the puller. So thank you. So just remember that when somebody's learning, they learn based on imprinting. And the only way to imprint is if you pull somebody in and they're engaged in the relationship, right? So when I'm engaged, I remember. But if I'm being told, I remember nothing because my defense is above, right? So the, the art of teaching to transfer knowledge is to pull somebody in to the experience. And if they're pulled in, they remember. Oh, this is so good. You guys, seriously, I think this is going to help so many families. Like, this is an important conversation. Thank you, David, Monica, and Amelia, because this has really helped me. David is an incredible, fearless leader. I'll follow him anywhere. Hey, good morning. This is Jessica with the lion face. <laughs> Hi, Jessica. Amelia, you're on mute. I don't know if you're talking or not. Go ahead, just Jessica. 
Oh, okay. Um, so I I jumped in around um, when those conversations were happening about growing up in the mechanic shop, and uh, David was asking, going around kind of popcorning like how people were as a kid, and a behavior thing I'm thinking about is. Um, I, I was a kid that asked a lot of questions and I would, I, I, I genuinely wanted to know. So I was asking cause I genuinely wanted to know, or I genuinely cared, or I'd, I'd point things out about like, I would see a disabled person and ask about that and all these things. And sometimes I would get shut down because, uh, people would feel confronted about questions and I, of course, wasn't doing that on purpose to upset anyone, but I would feel the annoyance of adults around me or people where I would have insight or ask questions. Um, and then as an adult, I sometimes feel like I can't articulate and be bold like that and just genuinely engage and ask questions and pulling in like you're saying because I'm afraid I will get shut down for, you know, like bringing something up that's uncomfortable or, you know, the conflict because the question might cause a conflict. Um, so I, I'm throwing that out there. I didn't, I, I don't, I don't know how to end that, but that's would you like, would you like some guidance on that? Would you, yes, are you open? Please. Okay. <laughs> okay. So again, my, my area of expertise is always in behavior and behavior modification tools. So first I want to give you some foundation of what's really happening, right? So as a behaviorist, I say this every single day that what you think is happening is not what's really happening. So part of my responsibility to you to serve you is to first tell you what's happening. The reason why you ask a lot of questions is in order for you to go from your spots to action requires more checking off of the list to get you from where you are to taking action. Some people are quick starts. They need very little information and they go by instinct and then they start taking action, right? They already start running down the road before they realize they need a coat, right? Other people fact find and they get a lot of information before they take action. There is no good or bad. The only difference between that is what projects and tasks you're paired with, right? So somebody who asks more questions to gather more details is much more effective in detailed and right order work, right? So I just want you to understand what's happening is that your mind requires more things to check off the list because it's trying to move towards action. That's what's happening. So now if you're in a team environment or in a relationship of any kind, because you know that you require information in order to feel confident to take action, you can make that as your communication starter to say, listen, Amelia, I'm really interested in what we're talking about right now, but I want to share something about myself. I ask a lot of questions because in my questioning of it, it gives me the confidence to work alongside with you on that project. Is it okay with you? Is now a good time for me to ask those questions? Or would you like me to wait until you finish yabbering about what you're yabbering and then I'll ask questions. But what you need to understand is if you want me to be highly effective, I need my questions answered. So now somebody isn't in interpreting you as being annoyance, somebody understands that in order for you to be productive, what you need is your answers, uh, your, que your questions answered. So now you have neutrality in the relationship and both people can be productive. What happens in most conversations is the person who's receiving your questions does not understand why you are asking. If you dumb it down for them to say, I require answers to my questions in order for me to be effective, now the brain has the reason why and they're more receptive to answering your questions. Is that helpful in any way? Yes, it's, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I, there, there's a couple of things I'm thinking about. Um, and the la especially that last part about why I'm asking, because then, they're not questioning or getting defensive. It, it depends. I, I mean, I know we're talking about a work environment uh, uh, and it transfers to a lot of different relationships. The other thing with this is I, I, um, I'm, I'm definitely more of like an 
empathic counseling type, you need to ask a lot of questions to understand people too. So it, it served me in that way of like, oh, this person actually cares. And um, so it's it, there's been great opportunities with having that strength of um, asking and being aware of a lot of things to save bottlenecks, to save potential problems or uh, uh, aren't aren't as self-aware of and I'm picking it up it, it's it's been it's been fun but I've I, I appreciate um, also understanding how my brain works because also as a kid I was made to feel um, kind of insecure about that and what I had to say didn't matter and the other aspects to it so it, it, I, I love it because <laughs> it feels empowering to um, also ask for what I need or what I want. It, it just branches out where it's like, yeah, just information. <laughs> I can, I can siphon out like, you know, anything and it's good. It's good to feel um, aware of things that I might feel insecure about but it's an opportunity to grow at the same time, which is why I love tuning into your segments, Amelia. Thank you so much. So kind. And so again, just as a, as a general statement and reminder for people who are listening, when you're engaging in a conversation and you're met with resistance, it isn't your side. That's the other person's side. The reason why you're buffing, butting against resistance is the insecurity on their side. It's, not yours. So it's a different tool in order to help the receiver get over their insecurities. So if I'm asking something and I feel that energy of defensiveness or that energy of, I, I don't want to participate in this, it's that pulling in conversation to say, you know, it seems like I'm bothering you or it seems like I'm upsetting you. Is there something that I can do differently right now in order for us to get back in sync? right? It's the pulling in to bring the elephant into the room to say, I am feeling resistance. And so I want to make sure that you are at a place where you can participate in this conversation, or is there something that I can do differently so that makes this easier? Now it gives a person the opportunity to go, oh, no, 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 actually I'm hungry or I'm tired or I'm, I'm, I'm been in this meeting for freaking too long and that it's not what it seems to you, right? Remember what's happening is never what's happening. It's usually something else. So it's having the skill sets to stop and take inventory by communicating what it is that you're feeling and then coming to a uh, an agreement, right? Even if it's not a nonverbal agreement on how you're going to proceed. Because if somebody is not listening or cannot receive what you're saying, the best tool is to stop because they're not listening anyway. So to actually stop, that is your greatest power, is silence and pause. I love that. I, I so appreciate that this morning. And um, the last thought I had, I wanted to, and this can guide the conversation further for someone else to speak. Um, another reason I ask a lot of questions is to establish safety and understanding uh, I'm either standing on some a strong foundation or I'm safe in a place I'm in or, or commitment I'm doing. I've, I've had a lot of things fall through the cracks. So sometimes I think that's also why I ask a lot of questions is like, am I safe here? Is it safe? Right, and that's a false sense of security, right? So that is a reactive, right, response to pain. Right. So somebody or something did not live up to your expectations. And now you've created a a tool, a behavioral tool with the belief that if I ask more, more conversations, I'm actually more safe. What is a more effective tool is to outline for you the evidence that you must see in order to have movement versus commitment. Right. And engagement. And so if you, if you, if you have really require, then you have a very simple formula that tells you how involved you're going to get 
because you also mentioned that you have an innate ability of your spider sense, right? You have a, you have a, uh, an intuitive part to you. So that is your most valuable asset you have. Your subconscious already knows. Our conscious mind tries to override it. So if you have a feeling that something isn't right, you're correct. Always follow your gut. And if you're somebody who needs to be supported by evidence, then you have to identify for yourself, what evidence do I need to witness in order to earn and bond with trust with this person, right? Because then it is measurable. Now it's, it's, it's obtainable. Now it is uh, something that can be incorporated into a business, an idea, or an operating agreement, right? The, 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 the mismatch of array of questions that are not um, systematic leaves you back to this place of just not quite feeling safe and secure. And so if you have the formula of how do, does my gut feel, which is part of your formula, plus these are the three questions that I have to see evidence, not word, evidence of, then you're more likely to hit your target more, just using your word, safely than you have in the past. Does, does that help? Immensely. I'm so grateful for that and definitely going to listen to the replay. Uh, Amelia, I, I just wanted to, to, add, to find out now, would Jessica also have to pay attention to uh, maybe she's not catching up uh, or she's not paying attention to the physical cues that she's getting from the person that she's continually questioning and uh, that could contribute to some of that? Well, I mean, I have to say, I mean, I will say yes. I mean, most people that I work with, doesn't matter what their age is, give mixed messages. That's what that's what hurts us as an individual and hurts us as part of our community, right? Is that what we intend to deliver is not what our mouth does and nor our body or our overarching internal intent. There's such confusion on how people communicate that the receiver is really lost before they even start analyzing the information. So if you're, if you're taking a physical read from me, then that read is only 50% accurate, right? Some of it is my participation in my ability to align my words with my physical presence, right? So if I don't, if my words are attached to my intention, but my physical uh, face and body are saying the opposite, I'm making it harder for you, right? That's why highly effective communication skills built on what we call the rules of the game or the should or should not, that's what we do in Designing Genius, is imperative because now everybody is playing by the same guidelines. What we do is we guess, right? And so yes, if the person across from you actually has tools, then of course you've got to take in your 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 physical uh, evidence into the equation. But what if that person has no physical development skills at all, right? They have great intentions, the words make sense, but they give off this weird ick thing and it leaves you confused. And I think that's what happens in most cases is that we removed life skills, right, from our development. We removed rites of passages. And so now we've got generations of people that are just lost because exactly. they don't have the life skills. Exactly. Wow. This is amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. What I love about this is it's, it, it just, it, I, I feel like I can be more accountable too, like in this conversation. And I know it's obviously a bigger, there's bigger things to unpack. There's different traumas, like different things like that, but it's also I have like specific people in mind where I'm like, okay, I can do better. I, I care. I actually care about this person, which is why I'm asking these questions. But even in some of the deals I'm brokering, and um, it, it's just so invaluable. And I was on the call yesterday where um, Patricia, I believe her name was Patricia, it was unpacking where you all are headed with GDC, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> 
I you you've got a you've got a raving fan here. So um, that's awesome, and that's our that's our goal, right? Our goal as behaviorists is to put together all of the the games and the tools, right? All of the systems and processes and give them to people who are coaches and consultants so that we can help and serve more as we have this huge divide between people and company initiatives, right? And so we're not coaches and consultants. That's not what our business model is. What we are is we provide all of the widgets and tools so that coaches can be more effective. So now if you use Designing Genius and you happen to be a coach, the Designing Genius program identifies for you the root behavior that you're actually trying to coach them through. If a coach understands what's really going on to unwind that, they're more effective in their coaching. So my area of expertise as a behaviorist is based on my, my resume. I'm a very good strategist. And so I was able to identify that's what's missing in today's world is the human component. We've got a lot of tactical teaching, but we don't have the human guidance in, so, in order for humans to live up to their full potential and align properly with ways to generate money. So we are the engine behind coaches and consultants and people of who serve for a living. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, um, Amelia, I have a question for you. What, what kind of kid were you like? <laughs> so I was, so I was very much, um, an introvert. Um, I, m my natural state is in my head. Um, and so I am a, uh, an observer of people. I'm a, I'm a mad inventor. Uh, my mind automatically sees a better or more efficient way. And so I watched, I was, and plus the, I'm the only girl out of 11 boys, right? So I was on the sidelines watching and observing um, and had a difficult time with my younger years and creating my identity because I was not the same sex as my brothers. I was also uh, my formative years was in uh, Europe, and now I was here in, in, in America where the cultures are so different. And so I was, and I'm also mixed. So I had a lot of things going on that I couldn't figure out who I was and where I belonged, right? Especially being my parents, um, even though my parents are both Italian, um, my father um, is um, from Arusha, which is in Africa. And so my parents, when they came to the States, were told that they were an interracial couple. But for us, it didn't make any sense because we all were from Italy, right? So it was confusing to figure out who and what we were in a system that was very different than my upbringing. Um, and so I had struggled with my identity for a very, very long time because when people would see me, their question is, what are you? because I'm dark, but I've got light eyes. Um, now today, that's uh, way more common. But when I was growing up, it wasn't. So people were like, what are you? You know. And so that was hard for, for me as a child because I was like, I'm, 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 a, I'm a person. Like, I, I was like, what does that question even mean? Especially I was trying to do a translation um, in my brain from, from English to Italian and then back. And so what are you doesn't translate very well. And so I became even more introverted um, because I felt like I didn't fit. I see you. <laughs> I relate to some of that as far as identity and questioning and really appreciate you uh, being, being just so open and transparent. Thank you. Thank you for that. And so how has that, so that, now with so seeing it's like <laughs> now I'm trying to reconcile similarly with in my head like the images of it's like wow but now look at you <laughs> your your little kid must be like oh wow like <laughs> oh okay I do actually it, it must be it must have been like a whole shape-shifting experience what would what is something in the cadence of our conversation today, what's something you would tell your little kid about that question of identity now? Well, I think that, you know, and that's a great question, by the way, is, you know, I believe that our journey 
like I believe in the soul's code. You know, if anybody's ever read that book, it's about 700 pages. It's a difficult read, but it's a philosophy book, right? I believe that our soul already knows our journey before it gets here. And so I, that's why I, I believe that things happen for a reason because we're picking up those skills as we lean into actually delivering our greatest legacy here on earth. And so my journey, although extremely difficult and I would not wish it on any other human, I do understand now that the skills and the understanding that I had to learn because society wanted me to fit and I didn't, that that constant which, which is called resistance, right? The, the strain and recovery, the resistance energy that I was never quite right, um, developed a skill in me that gave me the ability to, I started my first business at 17 and I sold it at 19. And part of that came from the fact that I already was ostracized. I already didn't belong. So me looking at, okay, I could fail at this business. I was like, who cares? I'm already, I'm already the underdog. Right. And so I didn't have some of the obstacles that other people have if they're already in a group that represents success, you know, or represents the chosen people or whatever. I wasn't. I was a misfit. I was a mutt. I didn't belong. I was weird. I was awkward. Um, and so I leaned in. And again, there was no such word as entrepreneur when I started my first business. Um, I leaned into and accepted being different and being odd. And I use being different and being odd to develop the skills to close the gap between attracting people who are also odd, who had geniuses, and together we became a championship team. And we've done, I mean, again, I've done it nine times. I built nine companies and I have scaled with the belief as a CEO that my number one job is to pour in and develop people to their highest and best self that the more I can transfer my knowledge to somebody else and they can do good things with it, that's my purpose here on the planet. And so I've taken so many people and I've developed them outside of my company into other companies or into their own businesses or into their own investments because my journey is not back to my business. My journey is to impact you for your greatest good that has nothing to do with me, right? So I always say, I don't care if you know who I am, I care if you know my work. And so that comes from not being seen or understood in my formative years, is my opinion. Can, can I just throw, hi, this is V. I just wanted to, to comment on what you just said, um, you know, and not to ostracize anyone in the room, but it, it, it almost mirrors um, the, the journey of an African-American woman um, here in the United States. You're not part of a particular group where you're held to, to, to some sort of social standard. So it kind of frees you, uh, you know, to, to become successful if you go that route. And I know that in this room, you know, there's a, uh, lately there's been a lot of talk about alpha females and beta females and so on. And I know that, you know, in this room, especially on this stage, you know, there's a few alpha females that, that, that are obviously here and, you know, in leadership positions and, and that type of leadership personality, which I definitely see you in. Um, and, and they are also possibly extroverts because of the energy it takes to be that alpha female. You know, I'm, I'm very, I thought I was, I always wanted to be, but, you know, reality, I'm, I'm more beta than I am alpha, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. But I wanted to find out, um, you know, you were able to take that, that separateness and, and make a success out of it because you weren't held to those standards that a lot of women in America are held to. What advice would you give to, and there are a lot of women in this room like that right now, who can't seem to get past uh, the people that they're surrounded by and, and they feel that those social norms are holding them down. How do they get beyond that to become their own best uh, alpha, um, 
that they need to to be in order to to get not your kind of success yours is 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 uh probably more than a lot of us is is gonna you know experience but at least get some success in their life where they can break out of those uh social norms that they're being held to thank you i think that's an excellent question and so like anything your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness so because i and again for me i get I, I, I you know again i grew up grew up in stone mountain georgia and so for anybody who knows anything about their history uh stone mountain happens to be the capital of the kkk so um uh, you know one of my first uh greetings when i moved to atlanta was they burnt a cross on my yard mm. so i was accepted by the african-american community not the white community and so i always had this line where i was too white or or too dark just depending who the group was around me and so because of that experience i turned it into an asset not a detriment and so it's the ability to take pain intended or not and transform it into power and that is just a skill and so I understand how you, you interpret or see me as being an alpha. In actuality, I'm a beta. I have learned extroverted uh, skills and I've learned alpha-like skills in order to deliver what I think my purpose is and I will protect my team like a freaking mother bear, right? But I am in that alpha mindset when I am protecting or defending my people or my company. It isn't my natural state. My natural state, and this is probably why I've, I've had as many failures as I have successes, is because my natural state is I'm a giver and I have a big heart. And so I'm, I have minimum standards in order for you to get close to me because I am protecting the fact that I will over love and I will over give. And that's of my beta personality, right? But I can still do the things I want to do and learn the skills in order to get there and not have it to be who I am. So I don't identify as an alpha female because it's not how I feel. I'm always the one who would always serve you before I served myself. And I've had to learn over the years to make sure that I feed myself first so I can better feed others, right? And so those are skills I've had to learn from the fall down and get up. I have a bounce factor, right? That's what I have. I have resilience and bounce factor. That was something that I've learned. And so I don't think by grouping yourself or anybody into a category serves anybody well unless you understand how to use it towards your intended your goal right so everything that happens to me whether you want to say it's good or bad i use it for my power and my impact i don't an event that i have the power to choose whether i'm going to use it for me or release from it because it doesn't serve me so it's really all just a mindset but you can be whatever you want to be, be by learning the skills and the traits that get you to wherever you want to be. You are not limited by anything other than your mind. Wow. Love you, Amelia. Thank you. This conversation is so engaging, Amelia. Uh, there's so many labels. I have a question. I'm trying to formulate it in my mind. Um, there's so many labels, but what I see, see is that there's a great deal of self-awareness and you're just being yourself. You've gotten to a point where you can just be yourself without questioning it. Well, you're, you're it, under, it, it, because the, so listen, when somebody uses a, a, a label, that's for them. The label's not for me. So when you label me, it's your way of communicating that that is your, uh, your attempt to understand me. So people label things because they're seeking understanding or they're protecting themselves because of fear, right? So people who have 
a negative relationship with a certain group, when they think you have identifiers that equal that group, they put up their protective mechanism because they fear that group and they're responding from fear. Other people have no ill intent and they're grouping you because they're seeking to understand. So when I released the of having those messages land on me, right? Because you have control whether you let something land on you or not. So now people's opinions of me is interesting, but they don't land on me because I am very clear on who I am and why I'm here. And so I'm the first one that if I offend you or if hurt you unintentionally, I will take full responsibility, I will apologize, and I will make a suggestion on how I can show up differently so that I do not hurt or offend you. Because my, my heart is pure. I have no ill intent. My intention is only to serve what I know and hope you do more from it. And that's been a lifelong process to understand that the more comfortable I am with who I am, and if it triggers you, that I'm empathetic that I trigger you, but it is your work to do. I cannot do your work. So if I trigger you, I ask you con to consider what is it that is reflecting back at you from me? Because you cannot be triggered unless what it is lives within you, right? What I trigger in you lives in you. So if you hear me and you're like, wow, I think she's great, it's because you see yourself. If I trigger you and you're like, I freaking hate her, it's because you're triggering yourself. It has nothing to do with me. I'm merely your reflection. Wow. Wow. Amelia. Amelia, you uh, you hurt me <laughs> Wow. Uh, by being a stranger and you triggered me by making my heart sad because I hadn't got to hear your voice in too long, but it's good to see you today. Keep shining bright, my sister. I love you. Oh my God, I so love you. I love, I, I'm so glad I got to hear your voice today. I'm getting ready to go into 11 o'clock. And uh, that is the voice I needed to hear so I can go in there and kind of, you know, knock them dead. You always Ooh. do because you yeah. can. <laughs> so I hope everybody goes and buys Designing Genius. Please go into my <laughs> link. Please go buy the book. That's what we're trying to do. And if there's any coaches out there that are interested in our tools, we would be absolutely honored to serve you. Thank you all for your time. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.